Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. This hour is brought to you by Vasectomy Clinics of Chicago. Bernstein at Homes, middays 10 to 2. On Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Are you perplexed that you guys haven't succeeded offensively as much as you anticipated? I think you're around 24th in efficiency as an offense as a team. I mean, something isn't working, obviously. You know, some games were really good, some days were bad. And that's, once again, the consistency factor of, you know, figuring out what our identity is and what we're going to each and every game. Even if guys are in and out of the lineup, you see some teams that have consistency with what they do. They have an identity. I think that's something that we, you know, we're still trying to figure out. In these last couple of years, obviously, we changed our offense a little bit last year, or this this year from last year, but it's no excuse with the type of talent that we have on the team. I said years. He said years, not the last few games, not the, the recent stretch. Last couple of years, you're a big part of this. The guy, the guy, the guy talking. But Cody Westerland asked the question. Yeah, and he joins us now. He's on Twitter at Cody Westerland, the Scores Bulls reporter and 670thescore.com editor. Is on the Score Hotline. That's brought to you by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. And he's on Twitch, Twitch.tv/slash Chicago 670thescore. Nice work last night, Cody. How are you guys doing today? Uh- Thank you for those kind words. We're doing pretty well. The Bulls are not doing very well. What's what do you is there anything that connects why this team has lost six games in a row? Yeah, I mean, I think the best way to put it is they're they're a bad team that really can't shoot the ball lately. I mean, that's the main thing I would trace it to. I know the Bulls shot a little bit better in their collapse against the Pacers on Wednesday night, but otherwise when you look back at the last couple of weeks, I mean this has been a brutal showing, and we've talked about the small margin of error all year. I feel like we talk about this uh, every time we kind of do a radio hit. But this Bulls team, it was ugly again last night. I mean, the Bucks are calling up a guy from their G League team, A.J. Green, who's a rookie, and he's knocking down like five three-pointers. And the Bulls don't even have anyone in the rotation, basically, in their top eight who can do that um, with any consistency whatsoever at all. And I think... To tie it all together, you played the the identity comments from from Zach Levine. Like the Bucks clearly have an identity, and that's much easier to do when you have star players. But Giannis goes out of that game, and they still get shooters the ball in spots with space when they're well balanced. And even if it's the 17th guy, 15th guy, basically in their farm system or on their roster as a team, uh, he got the job done. And it's like there's no con. con- continuity or connectivity within the Bulls offense it feels like when they're throwing passes when they're throwing the ball it's like 
they're not kicking it to their teammates in well-balanced spots. And, and you just saw the difference last night, I feel like. I thought that was one aspect. I thought what Javon Carter did was the other side of that coin. Where yeah. it's, it's one thing to you know, call a kid up. What does he do? He shoots from range and puts the ball in the basket. And the other guy is a professional veteran player who just does what he's supposed to do based on what the defense is offering. And it, it, like Stacy likes to say, it's a simple game when it's played right. But just having a guy, that, that's a guy. Most, most NBA fans don't know who Javon Carter is. But you turn on NBA games and you see other teams just have guys who are professionals who do stuff. And the Bulls don't. Well, it's interesting, too, with the Javon Carter, because, I mean, what he, he went to Proviso East, so uh, he's That's a Chicago-area product that, that a lot of us have followed throughout his career. And, like, at the start of the season, like he wasn't even shooting. Like, Bucks fans were yelling at him to shoot because he was going out there and not quite the Tony Snell all zeros in the stat line, but he wasn't <laughs> being aggressive or helping the team. And, like, the Bucks coaching staff has gotten through to him this season and been like, hey – we may have Giannis, we may have Lopez, may have Drew Holiday leading this team, but there are moments when we need you to be aggressive, and maybe Bucks fans have shot, have thought he shot too much here in the past month or two, but on a night like last night, like it was much needed when Giannis goes out, and he's comfortable doing it because it's within his arsenal, and he's been empowered to do it, and he has done it at points before, to varying success, obviously, but... Uh, past Lopez, I mean, it felt like Javon Carter was the biggest reason the, the Bucks won that game last night. So um, just just a hard-nosed player and the type of guy that when you have an organization set up and humming like you want, you have guys step up like that. And when you're the Bulls and you don't have an identity, it seems like you never have guys like that. How would you describe Brooke Lopez's renaissance from being a guy who, who played in the paint to now being a guy who is a problem on the perimeter? I mean, it's amazing. Uh, his renaissance isn't just on offense either. Like he's put in so much hard work. And I think that even dates back to, to his Nets time when he started shooting more three-pointers, uh, obviously, and has just been more empowered in this NBA. But he's a perfect fit for that team when you have Giannis and can attack the hoop and make teams build a wall and then have a center that shoots three-pointers that well and, and can do it at a high volume. But his defense is just magnificent. Like he took, he took Vooch and Zach Levine out of the game basically last night. Neither one of those guys was comfortable at the rim because Brooke Lopez was around there all night, even when Giannis wasn't there. So you look, I believe Giannis is one Defensive Player of the Year award, and he's not even the best post defender on their team right now for the Bucks. I mean, probably has a higher ceiling, but a guy just doing more night to night is Brooke Lopez. And um, it's just so much respect for that Bucks team, how they've built it and filled roles and um, just just been selfless at every single turn in that organization. I mean, I think most of that starts with Giannis and his attitude. Um, and certainly it just feels like that there's different attitudes for, for the Bulls at this point when it comes to, to getting what people want and what they want out of it and everything. So Brooke Lopez, is he's been absolutely amazing this season. I need something clarified. Okay. When Billy Donovan reasserts that the Bulls' goal for the remainder of this season is to yeah. make the playoffs. Does the play-in tournament count? Uh, it does not count to me, no. Uh, have, they, am, have they been asked to clarify that? Like, do you I, mean the play-in tournament or the playoffs? 
To my knowledge, no, they've not been asked that. Uh, we certainly can follow up and ask that after the All-Star break. Uh, to me, it's always been top eight, right? Like AK set the goal last year was to do better than last year at the start. So at every single turn throughout every single way, the goal was to make the top eight. So to me, the play-in does not count. The play-in should not count whatsoever as you made the playoffs. You got to get to the final eight. You did not make the playoffs because guess what? You're still in the lottery. You know what I mean? If you're not in the final eight, you're in the lottery. You have a chance at the number one pick, basically. So um, as a logical perspective, they should mean top eight. I have not heard them claim that just making the play-in and being the 10 seed and losing their first game is any sort of accomplishment. So I'm under the impression they understand they need to get in the final eight. With DeMar out, it offers kind of an interesting opportunity for the, the Bulls' offense. And we saw in the Pacers game where there was a lot of ball movement and they're taking three-pointers in rhythm. Last night, it felt like there was a, a return to a little bit of iso ball with Zach in particular. How do they want their offense to run? Well, they'd like it to drive and kick better. The problem is there's not enough people open on a lot of these drive and kicks, right? Like these... These opposing teams don't care or give Kobe White or Io DeSumo or Dalen Terry any attention in the paint when they drive one-on-one. The other teams are happy for this to happen. I mean, I think Joe Ingles was one-on-one with Kobe White last night and went to the lane and no Bucks defenders helped. And Joe Ingles kind of pulled the rug out under Kobe and like all of a sudden Kobe is like, uncontested at the basket, but now he's off balance fading away because there's no body there and he's trying to create contact and he missed he missed a short shot that seemed like a decent look, but it was really off balance and kind of tough. He made one of those just, earlier because yeah, he, he, Bucks, that happened twice. There's one earlier that he banked in and another one that he missed, but both times, like you say, it was the same thing. It was sort of like Olay on purpose. Yeah, these teams don't respect the Bulls' ability to finish at the rim whatsoever other than Zach Levine, I think, sometimes – but then they don't trust that Zach's going to make the right decision time and time and time again when it comes to finishing at the rim or kicking out. So it just gets to a spot where the Bulls aren't efficient enough. But you, it goes back to it. like The Bulls, Billy Donovan would love to have this drive-and-kick game where they're open for three-pointers, but teams do not give that much attention to all these Bulls because they don't respect their ability to finish at the rim. And look, that's why it seems like Io attacks the rim, and sometimes in games he'll have like three early layups and look great. But then the other team just doesn't care if he keeps doing it because eventually they're like, well, you know, he'll be 5 of 10 on shots in the paint, and we're not giving up drive and kick threes, so so it's fine. So that's a real, real problem for the Bulls, I feel like. What have you thought of Dalen Terry with expanded time on the floor? Yeah, I liked him last night. Uh, really, I know he had a, a, a rough night against Indiana a little bit with a couple um, – air balls there and everything his energy was really good defensive activity was really good last night Uh, I liked the drive he had in traffic where he did kind of go up and under and finish last night that's a good sign because I feel like if he's going to contribute offensively that's the way it's going to be right like kind of getting some some garbage points getting some just helter skelter opportunity to attack the rim because he is energetic and has some athleticism and he needs to finish when he gets there so I like that The shot's really herky-jerky. It takes a long time for him to get his shot off. It does not look smooth. That needs a lot of work this offseason. So for the people being like, Dalen Terry needs to play because he can spark the Bulls to success, I'm not with you. To the people who are like, Dalen Terry needs to play because he has some promise and there's nothing else on this team we're seeing, 
I'm fine with. I agree with that assessment. Um, so I liked what he I saw out of him last night. He should, in my opinion, stay in the rotation even when the Bulls get more guys healthy down the stretch just because I think getting him some playing time is more important to this team's future than whether they're ninth, 10th, or 11th in the East, in my opinion. Six games ago, Arturis Karnaschovas said, well, I got 28 games. 28 yep. games to evaluate what's going on, and then we're really going to know in this small sample size. That was after Billy Donovan said it was going to be a larger sample, but no, it, it wasn't. Now we're at 22 games. You know what these six have told me? Stay out of the buyout market. They, they, they stink? I mean, stay out of the buyout market. Just, just don't bother. Do not bother. It's, it is a, a needless, useless distraction that is going to take away minutes from some of these guys that we're talking about here. When you're talking about Russell Westbrook and John Wall. Would it, it even it, be desirable no, at this point? No, for but them. just stop. Like, like at, at this point, I know that tantalized people for a bit thinking about what could be, and maybe they, they catch lightning in a bottle because they need, quote unquote, energy, which they don't really need. They need shooting. They need to be better at basketball. They need to make major moves to to try to energize, to, to get some sort of, of electricity that pump through this team from a roster perspective. They don't need some, some old-ass guy coming in here with a big ego. People completely misinterpret the buyout market, right? Like, they think the buyout market matters for anyone who's not a championship contender. What the buyout market is, is if you are the Bucks, the Celtics, the Nuggets— and you can pay one guy $600,000 for a couple months of work, and he can give you eight good minutes in, like, one playoff game that gives you the ability to keep your head above water or two playoff games, that's the point. The buyout market is not helpful for second-tier teams, in my opinion. Third-tier teams, fringe playoff teams, whatever you want to call the Bulls past that. It is nothing that matters, in my opinion. So I think people misinterpret that. I'm with you, Dan. The buyout market, Bulls should absolutely stay away from it um, because I don't think it helps Dale and Terry to put someone in the rotation to take minutes from him. I don't think it helps Patrick Williams get more shots down the stretch. I don't think it helps Zach Levine's attitude to add someone like Russell Westbrook. But if you're asking me personally for entertainment value, I'm all for it because it's something different and I don't even know how to write about the same thing. Bulls oh, think I, at three-point shooting every night. I get you. And that, as, as, a, as a Bulls podcast host on organizations win championships, trust me, I get you. Nice. But the, 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 it doesn't get you closer to winning a championship. There's no. n- nothing about a move like that gets the Bulls closer to winning a title. Honestly, it gets you farther away. I think if they added Russell Westbrook over playing Dale and Terry and empowering Patrick Williams down the stretch, they'd probably win one more game, maybe two more games even. That doesn't help them get closer to championship because it's not helping their lottery odds go up, which I think are 32% to land a top four pick right now, which is the only way they'll have a first-round draft pick. Cody Westerland, thanks, man. You guys take care. Thank you. Next up is James Fegan. Yay! Glendale with White Sox information for us. Yay. 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 Go White Sox. Selling a little or a lot. (laughs) Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got 
got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. We're calling an audible here because James Fegan has an opportunity to interview Luis Robert, which he had arranged for the team. And as luck would have it, he became available for the interview just as he was scheduled to join us. Just so, another example of the White Sox screwing us. Yeah, they are cackling behind the scenes. See, <laughs> they're going to get mad at us for bringing in Clevenger. Watch this. We're going to screw up their guest schedule. But there's still baseball to be talked. Yeah, there's a ton. I mean, you had your run-in with score listeners this morning and score callers that are trying to figure out how this game is going to change. By hey, the- thanks for taking my call. I, I don't I don't understand the rules. Uh, what if a guy's I, I shifted and he's not supposed to be standing where who's going to tell him to move? Uh-huh. What happens when the clock runs out? Well, there's umpires. Yep. They're enforcing the rules. I don't know. Okay. I'll take your word for it. These are the times that we're living in, Dan. I don't get it. We are, people are trying to figure stuff out. You know, baseball's been gone a while. You know, there, there's there been an emphasis, at least with White Sox fans, on other aspects of the game <laughs> other than the game themselves. So people are playing catch-up. <sighs> That's what they're doing. I'm going to stand by that. They just need to get their baseball legs back underneath them, and so do the White Sox. Did somebody violate my my rule? One of my rules. Uh, which one of the the rule is? Don't ever attend your own arbitration hearing. Oh yeah, it's bad. Did Corbin Burns actually attend, or is he getting this from his agent? No, he was there. I, I think he was there. Yeah. Don't ever go. Don't go. Don't go to your arbitration hearing. You're going to be mad. You're going to resent your team. He had a. Um, it wasn't a good time at the arbitration hearing because. And basically what it sets up as is the team tells you why they're not going to pay you what you want. And they're going to throw everything that they can at you, your age, your effectiveness, how they project your effectiveness going forward, um, if there are some personality issues. But it's it, it can be rough, you know? Like, we go through negotiations. It's not entirely the same, but I will tell you that in times where I've been in the room for a contract negotiation, 
it's taken me days to like come down yeah, from that. Because nobody because you're gonna say this is why I'm worth what I think I'm worth, and they're gonna say no, this is why you suck. Yeah, and you stink. But you still want me here? I mean, yeah, but at our price. All right. So here's what Corbin Burns had to say about it. Yeah, like I say, you, you kind of find out your true value. Um, you think you, you you work hard for seven years in the organization and five years with the with the big league team, and um, you get in there and basically they, they value you much different than what you thought you you contributed to the organization. Um, and it's just you know it's obviously it's tough to hear, it's tough to take, but you know they're trying to do what they can to win a hearing. Um, but I think there was obviously other ways that they they could have gone about it. Um, and um, probably been a little more respectful with the, with the way they went about it. But, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, here we are. Um, you know, they, they obviously, they won it. Um, but it, it, when it came down to, to winning or losing the hearing, it was, it was more than that for me. Corbin, this is everyone's fear for a player, especially a star player going to a hearing, that it creates just some maybe, not bad blood, but just some hard feelings that weren't there before. Um, how, how do you guys repair that? Yeah, I mean, there's there, there's no denying that the relationship is definitely definitely hurt from um, you know what what perspired over the last couple of weeks. Um, yeah, there's there, there's really no way of getting around that. Um, obviously, we're, we're we're professionals and we're going to go out there and, and do our job and you know, and keep giving what I can every fight every fifth day that I go out there. But um, you know, when some of the things that are said that um, you know, for instance, basically basically put me in the forefront of, of the reason why we didn't make the postseason last year. That, I mean, that's something that probably doesn't need to be said you know we can go go about a hearing without having to do that um so that's kind of one of those things that you know obviously they, you know they there was no attacking of, of character of you know person of who i was but um just the just the some of the stuff that was said that you know definitely didn't need to be um said is is, is something that you know i think kind of disappointed everyone well here's the thing no this is how this is the process when you say disrespectful or it doesn't have to be i mean it, just it, don't it can go. it can be disrespectful it can be but don't don't go don't go. You've got an agent who's going I, to handle it. I would agree that you should probably allow the professional that you pay to go into the room, and then they can ordinarily like distill down what was said about you so that it still hurts, but it doesn't hurt as badly. That's part of what you're paying for in a, in a in representation. Right. Yes, the, 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 to buffer that so you can be happier. And, and, and you so still you, come away with so you, so you make five hundred thousand dollars less, and you make ten point one instead of ten point six or whatever. This right. was and a difference lost, of right? seven hundred fifty thousand. Right. So it was yeah ten point one to ten point seven five. I mean, last year wasn't Lucas Giolito upset about seventy five thousand dollars? It was ten ultimately. I think it came down to the difference Jeez. in total. I, I mean, but yeah, you're right, Lawrence. It was about seventy, and then the difference ultimately was ten. It's just hard. Like it's. It's not even the same as like a like a review, you know, where you're under employment and you have like an annual review. Those are usually compliment sandwiches that you end up getting. But when you go through negotiation or you go through arbitration, like they are they are trying to make you understand their point of view and how they see you. And if you're if you're not ready for that, then you should not be in the room because it hurts. Like it really, really hurts. And and you can tell like this. That's why uh, when the, uh, the story about Jason Benetti came out and he was on the score with Parkinson Spiegel, he likened his meeting with the White Sox to an arbitration hearing. Well, that's also because the White Sox won't negotiate Let, with an agent. Right. Which I also think is, I think it's ridiculous. I think it's really weird. It's ridiculous. 
very strange thing because your agent might know more about what the marketplace holds as far as what your salary should be than the talent often does because they're doing deals hypothetically like across the country, you know, but that's a really think about all the weird things we've learned about the White Sox in the last six months. It's a really strangely run organization. We still don't know who's running it. Yeah, that's true. We don't. The mayor, Sean Casey, was this was this after Corbin Burns told his story, Mike? Or this he, was a few. I don't know how many years ago, but this was done in the past on okay. MLB Network. Oh my, it's one of my favorite things of all time. Every time I see guys going to arbitration, I, I, I did, you, did you ever go, Val? I did not. I went one time, and after my uh, after the 2000 season. And uh, it's something that I'm glad I did, that I wish I would never do again. I hope I, I never had to do again, and I didn't. So, I mean, let me set the scene for you. Go to arbitration. It's a court case, right? You sit in there. There's three arbitrators. On the one side, you got the commissioner's office over there. Frank Coonley, who's the president of, of the parks, was this, his first arbitration case was mine, right? And, and on the other side is the union. And Michael Weiner, all these guys are fighting for you, right? My agent, Ron Shapiro, is there. I brought my wife in, too. I was like, you're going to sit here because oh, you're going to see this is a business. You know, it's a business. <laughs> we were $400,000, $200,000 dollars a part or something like that it was ridiculous it wasn't two million so i was like why are we here in the off season for three days trying to settle on this so anyway jim bones on the other side who's the gm for the reds and, and here we go buckle up and my agent says listen whenever you whenever you're not feeling good about something negative you're feeling that negative comment just write it down so they're like this guy's a big time base clogger i'm like what you know this guy uh you know defensively what you know this guy uh he didn't come through in the clutch uh, in september at one but what you know i'm just I'm I'm writing it down. And Val, you know me. I'm a sweater. I'm a sweater, bro. I mean, it's like unbelievable. I'm like Frankenstein. Like, I want to kill these guys. Like, I, Jim Bowden has no idea. I want to come across the table right now and just, like, drop the atomic leg drop on him, you know? So I'm like, okay. So here we go. You know, the case is going, and I'm sweating profusely. And I'm telling my wife, you need to settle down. Ron Shapiro's standing up. It's Michael Weiner's talking. So we go for a break, right? It's like three hours. This is like a six-hour case. It's ridiculous. I'm, not, I'm like, get me out of here, right? I should, never should have done this. So anyway, three hours, we break. I'm out, in, I'm out in the other room. I'm so fired up. My wife comes out there. And I'm like, listen. I'm like, and Jim Bowden comes up. And he's like, hey, Case, just know this is business. It's not personal. I go, no, Jim. <laughs> it's now personal. I don't know if I'm going to be able to go back and play for the Reds. Like, you're, you're making me sound like a 10-year-old kid, not a big league like all-star. I'm an all-star player. You're going to be kidding me. So I'm like, no, Jim, it's personal. I just want to let you know that. So let's go back out and get him. So Jim walks off, and I'm sitting there, and I'm so fired up. I'm telling my wife I'm so fired up. It's this unbelievable situation here. You know, like those guys are, you know, burying me. And she goes, she goes, yeah. And I go, I go, what smells so bad in there, too? It's like unbelievable. Like every time I'm going, like it's bad enough that they're crushing me, but some smells so bad in there. And then my wife comes over. She's like, she grabs my suit jacket. She's like, she's like, oh man, I think it might be you. I'm like, really? She goes, she goes, we had just gotten these two cats at the end of the season. She goes, is that the suit jacket that? The cat peed on on the last road trip. And I go, yeah, didn't you get it dry cleaned? She goes, yeah, the, the dry cleaners must not have got it out. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I do smell like cat pee. And you know, when you sweat, I figured this out the hard way. When you sweat profusely, cat pee goes flying out everywhere. Like, it engulfs a cloud of cat pee in the courtroom. It's unbelievable. So next thing I know, I take the jacket, crow hop. I'm even more mad now. Crow hop, boom, I throw it in the garbage. Back into the room. Three more hours. I'm just, I'm like, dripping. I'm, I'm dripping with cat pee now. It's disgusting. I'm 
I'm like, oh, we better win this thing. Right? So, bam, three hours go by. About to get on a flight. Michael Wiener calls us. Hey, Case, it was all worth it, bro. Congratulations. You won your arbitration case. And I was like, I hope I need that jacket back you know, just to hang it in my house from now on, you know? Don't hang it in your house. No, don't do that. Don't go to your arbitration hearing. He says he's glad he did it because just because he has the story, but no. Yeah, it makes you angry. It completely makes you angry. <laughs> That's outstanding. We're not going to do high noon. I'm told we're I, not. No, we're not. I, I had stuff. I I did too. I had I I I, I need to share the story before the show's over. Okay. It so would, what so what are you going to do instead? We're going to talk to James Fegan. Oh, he's done with Luis Robert. Yeah, I think he's had his conversation with Luis Robert. Did they do some boxing? Like the touch box. I don't know what that was. I, that was so weird. It's very strange. But he's probably in the best shape. Uh, well, we'll find out the latest from James Fegan on the White Sox coming up next on the score. Dan Bernstein, Lawrence Holmes, middays ten to two on six seventy. The score in Odyssey Station. Leadership, in my opinion, is ten uh, percent given, ninety percent taken. Somebody's going to take it. You know, somebody's going to step up and, and, and lead this ball club, if not multiple guys. Uh, so we'll, we'll just wait and see. I'm not going to rush that process at all. Fair enough. That's Pedro Griffol. This segment's brought to you by BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. Please bet responsibly. James Fegan covers the White Sox for The Athletic. Our frequent guest is on Twitter at JRFegan. And with us on the Score Hotline, presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. So, how was Luis? Um, you know, he was he was he was his normal self. Uh, wasn't a you know a unstoppable font of emotion, but he, he's obviously prepared for the World Baseball Classic. That was something that was very important to both him and Moncada. So, uh, I, I think probably the the hope is that it's going to get them locked in as being aired about Mankata a bit more than Luis, but I think it'll have an effect on, on both of them. How's his hand? Uh, he said he's had no issues. He's been, if anything, um, taking reps on the field and being in the batting cage maybe even a bit more than he would in a normal season just because of one kind of frustration with the how much he's been hurt the last couple of years, but also just preparing to basically be at opening day ready a month earlier than usual. I saw the White Sox put out a, a, a video of him, and in the video he's talking about how he maybe got started on some baseball activities earlier than he ordinarily would. What, what was the, the reason for that? Like, Why did he feel it was necessary to start doing more baseball stuff before he came to camp? I mean, he said it was mostly just about the World Baseball Classic, but I, I imagine you know, a degree of it is just you know, frustration of – you know, how much he's been annoyed by a lot of his season getting eaten by injuries the last couple of years and, and feeling like if he were, you know, one, he doesn't want to put himself at risk with the World Baseball Classic and start the cycle over again, but also just feeling like he could do more to be, you know, better prepared for the year. Not that, you know, you've ever seen Luis Robert walk in and be like, wow, he's I guess he's going to play his way into shape, but, um, you know, I, I certainly see his irritation and frustration of not being out there. I, I think that's what really... Uh, manifested himself in him trying to play through the wrists uh, issue last year as long as he did because you know he, he's frustrated about how these these years have gone. Did he give any more indication as to that the the weird moment last year when he was he couldn't track baseballs and they called it like a vitamin deficiency? Uh, he has not. Uh, I think <laughs> you know it, it really 
I don't feel like we ever got like as this big concrete explanation of what was going on. They just tried to respond to the symptoms, uh, and eventually they went away. But as far as narrowing on a, on a root cause, I, I think it's uh, you know still in the realm of, of theory of, of what was really going on there. I noticed another tweet you put out today. Are, is there a question as to whether or not Michael Kopech is going to be ready to start opening day, start the season? I mean, it doesn't... Like officially, no, in the sense that like that it's not like they are, um, you know, it's not like it's supposed to be fifty-fifty at all. But he's obviously coming off a situation where he spent his off-season rehabbing rather than you know the normal progression of the normal build-up. Uh, he did mention that he hadn't faced live hitters yet, and but he has been thrown off a mound. Um, he, he might not. I don't think he's going to be necessarily like starting one of the first three games or anything like that. So I, I think they view themselves as having the the position where maybe they can tee him up for that uh, home opener more than they think they have to have him ready for the end of March. But it, it, it's a situation where, you know, he just hasn't had a normal offseason. He hasn't had been able to work on things, and maybe he's, you know, behind a few as, uh, you know, the opening day starter. But they've just kind of been slow playing it to where uh, they, they knew it was going to eat up his entire offseason. And, and, you know, hopefully with him having thrown three or four bullpens and getting here early, he's going to be on track. Um, but obviously if there's any setback, um, you know, that'd be an issue. But there hasn't been anything like that that's really pushed the schedule crazy yet james considering the emphasis that the white Sox have put on wanting to do a better job with the medical staff with the training staff and and, tr- and now at least having a full off season where they're in contact with the players is there any worry around the white Sox about their players playing in the wbc i mean they've been an organization that's been very like if this guy wants to do it as long as there's no underlying issues or, you know, injuries playing through, they've been very supportive of it. I, I think that in general that they're kind of an organization, um, you know, maybe you could cite their, you know, strict adherence to the uh, domestic violence policy as part of it that kind of really goes along with the, the league's mandates and requests a letter. And since the league wants players to participate in the WBC, they pretty much have a, a policy. I don't I don't know of anyone they've, they've shut down or, or um even Dylan Cease uh, not participating seems as much about his decision as anything else because they, they've wanted anybody who really wants to take part to, to take part. And I think you see that with Lance Lynn coming off a season of injury of saying that he thinks he's going to help them and the White Sox allow him to do it, that they don't think baseball players playing baseball is going to be this you know, unreasonable risk that they are going to step in front of. There were two weird flexes, I thought, by Rick Hahn when he met the media to discuss all the, the Clevenger mess one was he thought it would make make him sound good. Like, well, we've been pursuing this guy for two years, and all that did was score an own goal and what you should have known about him. The other one was saying, well, you know, they were essentially saying there were, there were some pretty shady characters on the uh, the World Series champion too. So this is just how we do business. And you, so I'm like, well, wait, wait, now you're trying to make people not feel as good about something that was really special to them. It was just, I, I don't get it, James. I, I don't, I don't, I don't understand sometimes what they're trying to accomplish in, in, in the signing and then in the subsequent explanation. Uh, I mean, at least the world series part, I think what he's trying to indicate is that these sort of risks are taken a lot or frequently. Um, you know, to the point where I would even go so far as to say it's like they can talk about upgrading their, their vetting or, or what they're going to learn from this process. It's not very concrete at this moment, but I think they're probably going to be in position to, you know, take these sort of risks again. I mean, part of the reason you're taking 
the risk of Clevenger is because you're fitting something into your budget. So if you're maybe pursuing the top of the market starter, have that uh, room to do that, you're, you're not in a position where you have to uh, take on character issues or take on somebody who was hurt, which was their primary concern at the time. Uh, I, I think it's structurally kind of baked into the way that they've done business that they are looking for these bargains all the time. And, and sure, that's true of almost every team, even the, even the Dodgers uh, for some reason. But I, I think it's, it's trying to indicate, and I obviously don't think it's probably very comforting to people that, you know, these are the sorts of, you know, calculated risks, as he put it, that this organization, the way it does business, is, is doing uh, somewhat regularly. In reading your piece in The Athletic where you were talking about Han and his reaction to to vetting of players, it, it seemed as if, and if, if I'm, I'm, I'm getting this wrong, let me know, that you found his details on doing better, doing a better job of vetting to be unsatisfying. If that is true, why did you feel it was unsatisfying? Um, just because I don't feel, and part of it is maybe they're just not trying to reveal their methods, but uh, I think it's easier for them to say, uh, and the examples he brought up of, you know, our offense's approach is going to be different because we, you know, fired our hitting coaches and brought in new guys and the new guys talk, you know, the right game or we've, you know, hired new sports performance staff and that's why I heard we're doing with injuries. What's the concrete thing that we would point to for the vetting is going to be better? I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know. Like, <laughs> they're not going to announce that they, like, you know, hired some new like, background check firm unless they do. That'd be, you know, a first uh, to see a team, like, really tout that. But uh, I, at this point, we have their word. And obviously, and he said as much. And obviously, their word probably doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people right now. And it's it's a very already a opaque process that we don't can't really you know, judge objectively. And right now we're going to have to wait for the track record to get better when it's been bad recently. So it's probably a very dissatisfying way to sit with it. I also don't know what they can really do other than to do better consistently for years on end and thus change people's perception of them. Has Griffol offered any clues as to how they're going to decide on their second baseman, that what they're going to be looking at? Is it, is it the drills? Is it the games? You know, it's, it's spring training baseball can be inscrutable because guys are being asked to do different things while they're all trying to figure out the new rules. Um, I mean, I could definitely tell you from listening to it that I feel like Romy Gonzalez is his job to lose. Okay. Uh, we're both typified as an open competition uh, between him and Lennon Sosa. And, you know, you know technically, I, I mean, that's not the role anyone envisions for him, but Larry Garcia is part of that mix, so as he's in the race. Um, but, I mean, with Gonzalez and Sosa, I mean, I don't think either of them are gold lovers or anything, but the, the fundamental question about them is, more than anything, like both these guys just chase out of the zone way too much. That was the, that was the, you know, the bugaboo for both of them in the majors and, and what little time they've had. Uh, both had chase rates that were, you know, very in line with the rest of the team's chase rates last year. So anybody who really kind of shows maturation in their approach, uh, as much as they can against spring training pitching, I, I think that's your guy. I, I think that's the, that's the the metric for both of them to whether or not they're going to be able to stay up here and, and be a guy who. You know, even if just hitting ninth and running into the ball, which I think is probably, you know, the peak idea for Romeo is that maybe he's a, a low average guy who hits 15 to 20 home runs at the bottom of your order. It, it's just seen making the plate disciplines gains that, that they needed to make. That was really clear at the end of last season for them to be, uh, you know, part of a major league lineup. 
Have you broached the subject of, of shifting with them, or is that something where a couple days in, when we get more position players in, you'll talk to you about? Because I, I worry, considering the White Sox defense overall has been something that's been lacking, them being in this new place where the shifting rules are different and them maybe not having a consistent right fielder and or second baseman feels like it could be problematic. I would have to say I have not, like, I went to the rules demo and all that and, you know, listened to how you can't send your uh, shortstop in motion like he's a slot receiver, uh, disappointingly, but uh, that, but, you know, it, I, I can make a promise to you that I will, uh, you know, in the next week or so. You know, oh, great. Well, you're, you're a man. I'll ask about it today, but. Uh, you're, you're, you're a man of your word. I appreciate that. It's a good thing for if you, have uh, you noticed anything about. It, it shouldn't be a defense. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, finish your point. I'm sorry. I I mean, especially with what it is now, like the infield-wise, like it's more hands than lacking athleticism, I feel, as far as their range and what they can cover. Like Tim Anderson, Yon Mankata, those are not guys that I think like lack the lateral movement uh, to, to be great in the position. It, it's, it's more errors, I feel, is, is the old-school issue with this, this team. So... I don't feel like they should be as effective. It's not like they were trying to get away with, uh, you know, uh, basically a third baseman at second base uh, as much as other teams in the past. It's it's just a precision that I feel like is the biggest issue with this team, you know, outside of the outfield where obviously they are trying to stick it in first baseman in the corners and hopefully they'll do less of that. Lastly, quickly, James, what are you looking for in the way camp runs to give you an indication of the differences from last year's management to this one? Uh, for the speed and the drills, uh, that was the big thing that, you know, Pedro drilled home of that they were going to practice game speed, that they weren't going to be very casual and just like, you know, taking routine ground balls and, and kind of calling it a day, seeing a lot more guys, uh, you know, trying to focus on actually making high difficulty plays, um, you know, stuff where they have to do stuff on the move and, and make quick decisions. You've seen a little bit of that in, in PFPs. I, I probably wouldn't try to sell everybody that the team is going to win 95 games based off really clean PFBs, but you're, you're starting to see that. Uh, you're, you're seeing a lot more catchers working on velocity uh, when they're blocks and, and stuff like that, uh, but we haven't gotten the, the – it's been two days. It's hard to tell what's full-scale changes and what's maybe just one or two tweaks around here. I think when we start seeing the position players fully report and really see the infield practice and what it looks like, uh, that's when you maybe start seeing the optimism about, hey, maybe this team will be you know, average defensively. We would do a lot uh, to upgrade from last year. James, thanks for the time, man. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Sorry for being late. So, I mean, no you know, worries. we were talking with Luis Robert. No it's all worries. good. Lu- Luis, what, what did he say? Wasn't spectacularly emo- font of emotion. Yeah, you know, it's fine. It's all right. It wasn't late. Was man good. was busy. He's giving us time. He's doing us a favor. Theo Epstein was on these airwaves this morning. So if if you have any issues about un- understanding the, the point of some of the new baseball rules, the thinking behind them, the research, the meaning, the, well, ra- wait. the rationale. I don't understand. What do you mean they're new bases? Are there more than five or six bases now? I don't get it. Okay. Theo has had an explainer for you, and he talked with Mully and Haw this morning. So let's just sit back and let him tell you what he's doing why he's doing it, and how it's going to make baseball better in his estimation. That's next on The Score. 
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.